0: So over the past 200 years, every two or three years, uh, Hawaii's uh, Kilauea volcano has erupted. I've only been to Hawaii once and wouldn't you know it, it was right during one of those times. It It is a fearful sight. Even here in North Carolina right now, Um, in Cherokee County, uh, the southwest corner of our state, there have been fires burning since October 23rd. Last that I read a couple days ago, there were more than 4,300 acres uh, that had been burned up in that, and the fire was, was not contained. The most natural and sane reaction to a mountain that is on fire is to stay away. It's to stay back and to be safe, right? Now, today in the passage that we're going to look at, uh, there is the imagery of a burning mountain. So I want to invite your attention there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 24. We have been working through the New Testament letter of Hebrews for several months at harvest. We have just a a couple of weeks, a few weeks left here. Today, we come to chapter 18, or chapter, no, there aren't 18 chapters in Hebrews. We come to chapter 12, verse 18, and you get contrasting images. You get two different mountains uh, that are pictured, and they, they really represent the two different ways of approaching God, the two different... Covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Let's read these verses together through his word. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said I am trembling with fear but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of God. Now, to set the stage here, in between the call to holiness, which happened in chapter 12, verse 14 to 17, that we looked at last Sunday, in between that and then what is going to be the last warning passage in Hebrews, verses 25 to 29, we've had several warnings in Hebrews, right in between the two of those sits this passage that reminds God's people of how we can approach God. And I want to invite you, if you're taking notes there on your outline, to add one word to that context, and that is the word now. This is about how we can approach God now. It's not about how they could approach God in the past, but it's how we can approach God right now in the new covenant era. That's what these two mountains picture for us. In verses 18 to 21, it's Mount Sinai. And that's where Moses gave the law, or God gave the law to Moses. And then Moses distributed it, of course, to the people. That's Mount Sinai. That picture's the old covenant. But we don't live in that covenant anymore today. We live in the covenant pictured by Mount Zion. That's verses 22 to 24. And these picture where we are. It's interesting in the book of Hebrews. If you've been following along in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is always calling people to advance, right? To grow, to mature. It's always calling people to get somewhere that they haven't been. And the atmosphere in this passage changes that a bit and says, you're already there. You've, you've already come to this mountain. I want to tell you, what you have in Christ today. That's what this passage is all about. So let's walk through these two mountains and let me give you some descriptions, some, some characteristics of each of them. There are seven things listed for each one of them. I'm not going to give you seven. I've kind of summarized the seven characteristics of each of each of them into three characteristics, and, and I'm putting, I'm assigning verses to them, but I, I'll say ahead of time that. Some of these characteristics are found in more than just the verses that will be listed on the screen, but this will help us walk through the passage. The first characteristic of the old covenant, this was before Jesus lived and died and paid for our sin price. Under the old covenant, the characteristic is impersonal. Let's read those first couple verses again. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Now, there are a lot of characteristics here, but I've summarized them up as that they are impersonal. Fire, darkness, storm you're hearing words they were hearing words and and the words were so terrifying to them that they they said we don't want to hear anymore very impersonal this is a reference back to exodus 19 so i want to invite your attention i want us to read the actual account where this comes from the giving of the law in exodus chapter 19 exodus 19 beginning in verse 10 The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready on the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people Around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal. Shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Are you getting the image so far? Now skip forward a couple of verses to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it in fire, the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him Now while the holy God of heaven wanted to have relationship with humans and wanted to reveal himself to them and to invite them to hear from him and to establish a covenant with them and to give them words to live by he wanted all of those things but he also wanted to communicate to him or to them that he was holy and that the way they were to receive this revelation was impersonal. And that leads us right into verse 20 with another characteristic. Another characteristic of this whole scene is separation, right? The mountain, it's drawn. (laughs) The lines are drawn around the mountain. You cannot touch that mountain, Verse 20 says, because they could not bear what was commanded, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The presence of God in the Old Testament was unapproachable. Oh, you couldn't just say, oh, well, yeah, we'll run up on the mountain and play. No, this is the mountain where God is revealing himself. And anybody that goes and touches that mountain is going to die. God expected reverence and awe, and consequently he revealed himself in these ways, and it produced another characteristic, which is we'll get to in a second. It's, it's almost like today, you know, you see these signs somewhere, you go, uh, danger, keep out, right? Because you can't just wander in there. There's, you're going to be hurt if you do. Or maybe it's a construction area. It's a sign. It's separating you. So it's impersonal. It's separation. And it creates fear. Verse 21. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So think about all the people that lived in the Old Testament or all the people that were living at that time. Who was the least likely one to be afraid? It would be Moses, right? He's the one who had, God had met with. And in fact, we find out that he spoke to God as if he were a friend. And yet Moses, the mediator of the covenant, was so Shaken by this experience that he was afraid. Now, neither Exodus nineteen and twenty or Deuteronomy four to five tell us explicitly uh, that Moses was afraid. but when the Israelites rebelled against God and worshiped the golden calf while he was up getting the law, notice what Moses says in response to that in Deuteronomy nine nineteen. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me. Whenever God reveals his holiness in the Bible, the natural result is fear and trembling. I don't know if you're thinking of any other images. I think of Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah saw a vision of God, saw the Lord on his throne in his, in his temple. And Isaiah, the holy prophet, said, Woe is me, I am undone because I am a sinful man. Now let me ask you a question we think about these characteristics of the old covenant impersonal separation fear has god changed <laughs> is god different is god no longer holy is god no longer someone that we should have a reverential awe towards that's that's not where the passage is going It's not saying that God has changed himself in his being in who he is from then to now, but it's talking about how his people were invited to approach him. And in in the old covenant, the approach was an approach of separation, an approach of fear. Fear. Now, there's a drastic change when we come to the New Covenant. Let's look at that mountain. And the first characteristic there is joy, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Now, in the Bible, the the city of Jerusalem and Mount Zion are so linked It's as if they are conceptually synonymous. They stand for the presence of God. They stand for the place where God himself dwells. And in this passage, there's a picture of an assembly in a heavenly city that is dramatically opposite to the other mountain, the mountain of fear and darkness and gloom and fire. Mount, it signals joy and warmth and acceptance. Mount Zion is where God really dwells. It's where God meets his people. And it's not a physical city you can see there. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. He's not talking about a physical city. He's talking about a heavenly city. You might remember from an earlier passage in the book of Hebrews, when we went through chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, the people there were described as they were not looking for a country here. Verse 16 says, instead they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, notice how this assembly that we've come to now is described. Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. That original word in the the original text here, the Greek text, it's only found here in the New Testament. It's only found one time in the New Testament. So usually what we do when we come, not just when a word's only found once, but especially when it's found once, you want to look at, other writings at that time, other Greek writings that were used in a secular sense. You want to find out how the average person used that word and understood that word. In this case, it was used of parties or atmospheres of celebration that would occur at athletic competitions like the Olympics. In the Old Testament, Hosea, Amos, and Ezekiel, it was associated with feast with Joyful, delightful gatherings. In fact, the ESV translates verse 22 here as festal gathering. Both of those translations are accurate. Both of them are good, but that gives you an idea of what's happening here. We, Rather than cowering away from God's presence, rather than seeing approaching God as a mountain that we, that we can't, we've got to be careful so we don't touch and even our Even our animal might go and sneak away and get on the... No, we don't approach God in that way. We approach God with excitement. Yes, with reverence, but with excitement and with joy. And this joyful assembly is elaborated on in verse 23, so we can add another characteristic. It's personal and relational to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, most of the time, the word firstborn occurs in the New Testament. It refers to Jesus. But Christians are also classified as firstborn because Christ gave us new birth. He gave us salvation. You know, in the Old Testament, God ordered all of the names of the first porn males to be recorded. Moses counted them and made a list in Numbers chapter 3. In heaven, there's another list of names that's been recorded. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who is a Christian, your name is written down in heaven. And that's what it's talking about right here. The whose names are written in heaven. This is Personal. This is relational. Think about that just for a second. If you're a Christian, your name, your name, your exact name, I'm assuming that's first, middle, and last, is written down in heaven. You're not a number. You're a person that God cares for. This is the assembly that you come to. And we've come to a person. Yes, he's a holy and perfect person. He, in fact, he's the judge of all. We get reminded, it's not like we can now be irreverent or take God for granted or think he's not holy. He is the judge of all, but we are come to him, and the writer says we've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We are not righteous on our own. We are unrighteous. We are sinful. This is the basic message of the Bible. We are separated from God on our own, but through Jesus Christ, death on the cross, what he did, he paid for our sin, and he made us perfect through Christ. In fact, we've already seen earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. And so as we go into verse 24, there's another characteristic. It's access and forgiveness. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus has already been presented in this epistle in great detail as the mediator of the new covenant, right? It was instituted through his blood, through his sacrificial death. That's how the new covenant came about. The old covenant came about on Mount Sinai when God gave the law, but now the new covenant comes and Jesus inaugurated it through his own death. It's the, that's the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Maybe you remember the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. There was Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain decided to murder Abel, to kill Abel, right? Genesis chapter 4, here's what God said to Cain as a result of this. After he had murdered his brother, the Lord said, "'What what have you done? "'Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. "'Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, "'which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand.'" So here's Cain. He murders his brother, Abel, and Abel's blood is speaking a word, and the word is condemnation. The word is guilt. The word is curse. You're cursed, Cain. That's what Abel's blood spoke, right? But what does Christ's blood say? does Christ's blood say to us, guilty? You're condemned? You're unworthy? Now, the truth is, we are guilty outside of Christ, right? We are condemned. We are unworthy. But under the old covenant, Abel's blood said, you're guilty. But I've got great news for you this morning Christ's blood says to you something different. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Christ's blood looks at us and says, forgiven. (laughs) Forgiven. That's what it says. You are forgiven. That's the better word, right? Which word are you going to choose? Condemned or forgiven? Forgiven. We're accepted by Christ. We're perfect in Christ. So think about it. Think about these two ways of viewing relationship with God. And sometimes people that live today still try to approach God in the old way, the way of that's impersonal separation, fear. They wallow in their own guilt. They're afraid to come into God's presence. They keep thinking about their sins and their mistakes and their failures and their shortcomings and their comparison with other people. And, and what the writer is saying here, this is... What the Old Covenant communicated, Mount Sinai communicated that, but Mount Zion communicates joy, and it communicates, it's personal and relational, and it communicates access and forgiveness. The vastness of the difference between how they approach God in the Old Testament and how we approach God right now in the New Testament is the title of this sermon, Night and day. It's night and day difference. So I want to give you a couple of suggestions about how you can take this good word today of God and apply it in your life this week. The first, here's the first way to apply it. Worship with joy. Worship with joy. Joy. Joy Davidman, the wife of C.S. Lewis, for a short time in in her book, Smoke on the Mountain, created a picture of the Sabbath day. So it's kind of unusual. uh, There was a Martian anthropology student who made a trip here and did a survey across the United States right and the Martian surveys the landscape on a Sunday morning so this is Sunday morning in the United States of America she's draw she's trying to make a point with this Martian who comes and looks everywhere and the Martian observes that the creatures on our planet being us are obviously sun worshipers. And they choose Sunday to be the day that they really worship the sun. In fact, sometimes these loud rituals occur out in the open air like in arenas. Sometimes it's a large crowd of people worshiping the sun that go to a body of water. Are you getting the picture so far? And sometimes this Martian is thinking that we humans are, are, are worshiping the sun like by addressing a little holy ball. A solar symbol by themselves or in groups of three or four with long clubs and open green spaces. Others go down to the ocean, she says, and take most of their clothes off and throw themselves with ecstasy into the waves. And then when they're tired, they anoint their body with holy oil and lay flat on the ground, surrendering completely to the sun god. But the Martian finds a small group of unbelievers who reject worshiping the sun. They dress soberly and they gather behind closed doors in stained glass buildings designed to keep the sun out. Their faces and gestures demonstrate, quote, none of the religious frenzy with which the sun worshipers pursue their devotions and they appear almost placid. And then Davidman reflects on Christianity, Christian believers and the apparent lack of joy on the part of Christians and asks, was the Martian wildly wrong or fantastically right? What are the believers? It's so easy for them to be tempted into joining The games, first now and then later as a habit. Finally, the uneasy sense of something forgotten on Sunday morning gradually fades away entirely, and faith in God perishes not by conviction but by disuse. Even many who do come to church out of a dull sense of duty rather than a joyous sense of devotion, the life has gone out of their belief. What do you think? Are you joyful in your life? I'm not asking you if you're happy, (laughs) because there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Some of the most joyful people I've ever met are people who really suffer. There's a difference between joy and happiness And joy does not require that our circumstances are all perfect, right? Happiness almost requires everything to be going well. But in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of your understanding of the church and what we do when we come to gather as a church to worship God and how then we scatter to worship God throughout the week, how are you doing with joy? Can you look at a passage like this and say, wait a minute, this is, was the old covenant way, but now I live, now I come to a new place. Donald Guthrie asked it this way, are we characterized by joy? If we're not, then the reality of Zion is not invading our lives. Perhaps we need a clearer view of that mountain and must hear again the songs of the angels and the message of the sprinkled blood. So that's the first way I invite you to apply this passage to your life. Worship with joy. The second way I want to invite you to apply it is to welcome with grace. Welcome with grace. You know, there's... You notice some of you, if you come regularly, there's a sign back in that corner now that wasn't there before. For God so loved the world. And you see there are like 18 flags of nations. Friday night, there was a really cool event here. We have a ministry called ESL, English as a Second Language, and ladies gather on Friday morning. A lot of harvesters and a few other believers that go to other churches help us love on these women and teach them English as a second language. And so there was an international night designed for their whole family, and there were at least, we believe, 20 nations represented here for a dinner and all kind of activities, over 100 people. It was was great, and it was designed and and most of the, many of these people maybe most of these people are from countries where they don't have bibles they've not heard the name of god or the name of jesus and we were just trying to welcome them and embrace them and as it's just a little it's a picture it's a little image of what god wants us to do in the body of christ now if you want to live near mount zion with its warnings for unworthy people to stay back okay but I'm thankful that we can live near Mount Zion now that we have a place of forgiveness through the blood of Christ a place where we hear a word from the blood of Christ that is better than the word of the blood of Abel and just as God called us to his grace and God welcomed us we as a church are called to welcome others with grace now, that does not mean that we deny the existence of right and wrong. That does not mean that we compromise on God's truth or God's standards in Scripture. That does not mean that we believe that it's okay for people to live any way they want to as long as no one is hurt, quote-unquote. That does not mean that we accept sinful behavior by professing Christians, it means that we recognize we are sinners saved by grace, all of us. And we want to welcome other sinners through the grace of God. And we don't want them to feel like they have to change their behavior just to be accepted by us. Because the most important behavior needs to change is the behavior of the heart that bows before Jesus Christ and receives him as Lord and Savior. Amen. In his book, maybe many of you have read this, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells a story because he's building on the point that Jesus, it seemed like in Jesus' ministry, the worst people were drawn to him rather than being repelled by him. But unfortunately, sometimes now the church, it's the opposite. (laughs) The worst people are repelled by the church rather than drawn. And there was a prostitute that was in a desperate situation. She was homeless. She was sick. She could not afford to feed her 2-year-old child in fact she confessed to to yancy that she had even allowed her child to be rented out because she was in such a dis- desperate situation and and yancy just to support her drug habit and yancy said to her i could hardly bear hearing her sordid story For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. And at last, I asked her if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. And he says, I'll never forget the look of pure naive shock that crossed her face. Church, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. Of course, God is both holy and gracious, and we need to communicate both. We need to understand both. One commentator puts it this way, although it is true that the path to Mount Zion brushes past Mount Sinai, the holiness of God is a foundational aspect of the message of true grace— Zion must loom large in our vision and the vision of Christianity that we communicate to others. It would be a shame if people never hear the music of the heavenly Jerusalem because the thunder of our Sinai drowns it out. If they never move past trembling Moses to meet Jesus who stands with his outstretched There's a third bullet on your outline sheet for a way to apply, and that's, that's for you to fill in yourself at home. That's for you to go home and think about it and fill it in. Well, I try each sermon to summarize God's Word in one sentence. I try to take all of the words and put it into one sentence and usually put it in a box, right? Some kind of shape on the outline because hopefully it helps us remember it. Hopefully it helps us. It, 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 it's accurate to what the text is saying, but it help. it's something to take home. It's memorable. So if you have the outline sheet, Do you see the place where you're ready to write that sentence in. Did, did you notice anything about that box? That box is kind of small today. I don't know for sure, I didn't research it, but I don't think I've ever had a summary as short as this one. But here's my summary of this passage. Come. Come. Mount Sinai, the message of God, is a message to come and I if you have never been saved you've never trusted Christ as your personal savior hear and know today that the blood of Christ the death of Christ is sufficient for your salvation it's all you need to enter heaven It's all you need for forgiveness and you can bow before him you can open your heart and you can say, yes, I'm wrong, but you're right, and I, I trust you. And if you're a believer already, come. <laughs> Worship with joy. Welcome others with grace. Let's bow our heads, please. First of all, I'd want to just give you just a minute in silence to reflect on God's word, and then we're gonna then we're gonna we're gonna pray together. Um. I'm going to ask you to stand now, if you'll stand. And I'm going to ask you to form a circle with six or eight people around you. And we're going to have a time of prayer. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. If, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, fine. Nobody's asking anybody to pray out loud who's not comfortable. You can just enjoy listening to others. That's totally fine. But many of you are comfortable and will want to pray. And I want to ask you to pray for us as a church, not just our church, but the church of Jesus, that we will be worshipers with joy and that we will welcome with grace. Pray for our church in particular, yes. Let's just take a few minutes to do that. If you'll form some circles around with each other, again, six or eight people, and again, just be comfortable and let God's presence invade. And when you hear the music come back on, that's when we'll wrap that time up and close. I'll close in prayer.